0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Lights Out Babel F1 podcast. We're back a week after um, Portugal, which happened at the weekend, the Portuguese Grand Prix, on the roller coaster track, which was Porta now, ups, downs, left, rights, flying crest, everything, it had it all, apart from a decent race I think we could probably say um I again as, as I said in, in the first episode that um I've not been able to watch it live because I've been out refereeing and, and stuff um so I come back and kind of look forward to watching the highlights I came back to watch the Miller highlights two or three weeks ago and, and you know quite enjoyed it and then I sat there watching the Portuguese Grand Prix highlights and I have to say I nearly fell asleep um joining me to talk about what wasn't really much of a race is uh, Callum Owen and Callum McAvoy. Uh, Joshua isn't here this week. I'm sure he'll be back with us next week or, or in the near future. He's got other commitments um, tonight. So just the three of us, um, me and two Callums. So this could get pretty confusing, um, but we're <laughs> going to give it a good shot. Let's talk about um, the race. First of all, um, Callum M, um, you know, what, what did you make of it? Did you think it was any more exciting than, than I've made it out to be, or, or was it just a very boring race? like Like, like I said. I mean it wasn't terrible like it wasn't like
1: nothing we've seen worse like oh oh, absolutely like France 2019 was like a low point for Formula 1 just one of the dullest races ever it wasn't anywhere near that but yeah it was It was kind of formulaic you know we had sort of the opening 10 15 laps of all the chaos it was a safety car obviously and the restart the fallout from that but yeah after that everyone kind of just held position really uh, wasn't too interesting but to be fair, we've had two really exciting races to start the season with, so we were due a,
0: a dull race pretty soon. Mm. So, I, th- I think would be pretty unrealistic to expect twenty-three incident-packed races, or, or however, however many it is throughout the season. Um, Callum, uh, oh, did you do you kind of agree with that? Do you think, yeah, let's let's just kind of that race has kind of brought us back down to earth a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think it was, um, and the main problem is we had two great races to start the season. So when you have a race that maybe isn't as action-packed as Bahrain or Imola, it's going to seem like a bad race. I don't think it was. I think the first 20 laps um, had all of the action, which I don't think helped the race's case. But I think it was still a good start moments. I don't think it was a brilliant race, but I don't think it's the end of the world. I still think we're going to get good racing. I just, yeah, I think it was a very so-so race
0: cool so let's get straight into it then um i probably agree with callum there actually saying kind of all the action happened in the first 20 laps which which makes you forget about you know the rest that happened you kind of forget about that first 20 laps and throughout the rest of the race which is probably why i've made it come across maybe a little bit more boring than it, than it probably was. So you're probably right there, Callum. Anyway, let's get back into it. Um, we're going to have a look at um, what we said this time last week when we made our predictions um, for the Portuguese Grand Prix. We all gave our podium um, and some of our wild predictions which have given us some uh, very good talking points. I think it very much has to be said. Um, we'll start with Joshua. He's not here this week. Um, he's gone for a Hamilton win with uh, Verstappen in um, second. I mean, he didn't actually say who was top three. Well, I just listened back to it. He said Hamilton and Verstappen will fight it out and then didn't really give a third. Um but he said Ricardo would do better than Norris um and he clearly didn't. Um Callum, what did you make of what was a, a very disappointing qualifying for, for Daniel Ricardo? And I suppose he did a bit better in the race. I think he did he bring it home in P9, something like that in the end? But but what did you yeah, make was, of Daniel Ricardo's weaker? Um
2: P9, decent result when you consider starting P sixteen. He I mean he summed it up perfectly with it was grim. It was it was a poor qualifying performance from someone who struggled to adapt to you know, McLaren's car. But the fight back to P9 was good. Could have had more if he wasn't um, sort of done by Fernando Alonso at the end of the race. But in considering where he starts, no, it's a good result in the scheme of things. Not the result he'd hoped for, but still positive, showing he can overtake in a new car, which is always good.
0: Yeah, and um, Callum M. Obviously, uh, Joshua also said that Lance Stroll would finish in the top five. Um, I am just trying to find where he was where he finished, and I don't think it was anywhere near the top five. The Astons finished in the bottom half of the order, didn't they? So, uh, what did you make of Lance Stroll's weekend and, and Aston Martin's weekend overall? Which, which was pretty poor. And obviously, I'll, I'll hold my hands up with my uh, Sebastian Vettel prediction, which, um, which, which went very, very wrong. I'm just looking now, Sebastian Vettel. Finishing 10th, he scored points. I said he would score points. I mean, uh, he did. Is
2: that 10th in, calli- in qualifying, wasn't it? 10th in yeah. qualifying,
0: so I've got that confirmed.
2: Fair um, in the race. Oh. Yeah, so there
0: we go. I, I sort of said he was... We'll, we'll say he scored points because he finished in the top 10. I mean, he didn't <laughs> score points. Um, I, I'm just trying to, to kind of save myself. Um, but back to the actual question, Callum. Um, um, what did you make of Aston Martin's weekend overall?
1: Uh, just utterly terrible. I, I have no idea what's gone wrong with them. It's 13th for Vettel, 14th for Stroll, so they've just gone backwards. I don't, I don't understand. Like I, I, we was chatting with you guys just before we started recording, and I was saying like, I saw something on Twitter. It's obviously a joke saying that uh, Aston Martin are under investigation for copying Williams's car. As a joke, <laughs> all the time, they've copied Mercedes <laughs> in the past, But yeah, it, like it's the only logical explanation. Surely uh, at this point, like don't know why they've gone backwards they've obviously changed something on the car I don't think it's all Vettel or Strolls for they're good drivers obviously so um I don't know maybe they'll improve as the season goes on but this is a, an awful start Vettel's one of seven drivers not to score points so far in the
0: opening three races so uh, not good yeah I was um being pretty stupid there I was looking at the the uh, cause I because I was quickly trying to find the result of the race well well um well, I was asking the question at the same time and I found the 2020 results and he came 10th in 2020. And, and obviously this year uh, he was 13 to 14 for us to mind. So I really got my hopes up there. I was like, I'm pretty sure Vettel didn't score points. And then I obviously realised, yeah, I've got the wrong race. Um, Callum and then we'll come to um, your predictions. Um, you agreed with me. You said Verstappen uh, followed by Hamilton and then Bottas in third. Um what did you make of, of that Verstappen-Hamilton fight? There wasn't really much of a fight between the two of them. It was just that fantastic overtake from, from Lewis Hamilton that we saw into Turn 1 to, to get Verstappen.
2: I think, I mean, it was going to always be a bit of a 50-50 shot. I think it Portemau sums up what this season will hopefully be. It'll be a battle between which car is strongest on what weekend and I think just this weekend it was Mercedes. I mm-hmm. think they just—they seem to have the extra power down the straight, and just seem to be a little bit more confident in a track that's very wind affected. I mean, we saw Verstappen lose pole because he had an oversteer due to the wind coming out of turn four. So, I think I think Verstappen was a fair shout. I just think was just Mercedes were stronger on the weekend. That's I mm. think that's really all there is to it.
0: Do you think that's going to that, that's how it's going to carry on throughout the season? We could just see that we could just see that kind of alternating between or just one of them's going to be you know stronger than the other and then the next the next week one's going to be stronger you know Red Bull are going to be stronger than Mercedes then Mercedes stronger than Red Bull do you think that's kind of how it's going to be through the season or do you think maybe Mercedes might be might look stronger but Red Bull may just pip them in the race you know with, with a bit of luck or, or a bit of good good um strategic planning I guess
2: well I mean I certainly hope it's a case of each race is different and I do think that will be the case I think There'll be tracks that Red Bull are stronger at tracks that Mercedes are stronger. At. And that happens historically anyway, even in seasons where it isn't quite as tight. So I think even now that it's a tighter season, we could see more sort of switching between who is the strongest car at certain points.
0: And then your final prediction that you made, Callum, is you said that um, Esteban Ocon would out-qualify and Fernando Alonso, and you absolutely smashed that out of the park with um, Ocon qualifying, um, I think it was sixth, Sixth. is that right? Yeah, Yeah, sixth. And then Fernando Alonso down in 13th. So so we absolutely smashed him out of the park. Um, Callum M, the other prediction that uh, Callum O made, this is really confusing, isn't it? The other prediction that uh, he made was that um, Perez would come in... uh, Yeah, Perez would come in fifth, um, and there would be a McLaren or a Ferrari um, between them. Obviously, Perez came. I'm flicking between race and and, and uh, qualifying result here. Uh, Perez came fourth. Yeah, that's that's where I thought he came. Um, but how good was it to see him on on um, you know that long stint on on the mediums at the start of the race? You know, you're going well into the race to you know it just shows how good he is at tire management. You know? Yeah, fifty five
1: laps or so on one set of tires is. Ridiculous, um, especially on the tyres he started on as well. Which I think was the most remarkable thing. Yeah, it's it's probably as you mentioned, it's kind of the strongest, uh, one of the strongest things that Perez is good at is his time management. Um, while it was disappointing that he couldn't do more with it, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, this is what Red Bull signed him for. You know, to have a driver who would finish fourth or third for every race. So yeah, he's doing his job well. I think he's settling more and more. You can see it. You've seen that throughout the three races now. He's grown
0: more and more into that car. So, uh, yeah, looking good for him. And you predicted him um, to win the race this time last week, which obviously uh, didn't happen. You said at the time you were being kind of a man can dream sort of thing. But do you think that maybe Perez can be used as kind of, you know, a a number two driver and maybe kind of a bit of a tactic in terms of the way he can long out the tyres? Do you think, you know, that could maybe give Red Bull a little bit of an advantage in terms of getting Max the, the World Championship and getting themselves the, the Constructors' Championship? Oh, yeah, he, he's
1: definitely like win-man status in the same way that Bottas is win-man status at, at Mercedes. Which I don't think he'll mind. I think if he gets the, the chances to win races or get on the podium, he'll take that. So, uh, yeah, I think Red Bull could definitely use. I think they tried to use and they tried to say, oh, go on a longer synth than you can hold up Hamilton and it didn't work at all. But you could see what
0: Red Bull were trying to do. And I'm sure we'll see it a yeah. few more times this season. And I th- Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think he's definitely a tool that, that Red Bull will be able to kind of use to their advantage. And I think it, would def- it definitely could make a difference um you know towards the end of the season especially if you know there's there's permutations on the last few races you know the amount of points needed to win a championship i think perez and bottas as well but obviously we know how good perez is with the tires and, and he could definitely be, be used to red bull's advantage um Callum uh, the other prediction you made was that george russell was going to score points i'm going to come back to, to Calamoan on this um the williams looked fantastic in qualifying he, he was really close to getting into q3 george russell um but but what happened in the race
2: i think um him and Nicholas and I mean, the Williams uh, team as a whole, did allude to the fact that it was a very wind-sensitive, unpredictable car in testing. So I don't think it was any surprise that when the conditions were right, it was a quick car. Or when the conditions were wrong, it was a horrible car to drive. And Russell said on his team radio, it was like driving the 2019 Williams, which is one of the worst cars we've seen for a while. I mean, it was unlucky. He, was, he showed again, he's an excellent qualifier. And we all know he's a great driver. He just needs the right equipment, which he hasn't had. Obviously, bar his one-off one um, appearance for Mercedes, he hasn't had yet. So I think it will come. I think he was unlucky just with the conditions and the car he's driving on Sunday. But I think he still showed across the weekend as a whole, yeah, an excellent Friday as well in practice, just how good of a driver he is. And
0: then this brings me back to you, Calum, obviously, Nick Schumacher um, got past Nicholas Latifi and and I think managed to finish the race ahead of him in the end. Um, Is that a step forward for Haas or is that just the fact that Williams were just poor or is it that this Haas car, although they're not bringing upgrades, that maybe Nick Schumacher is getting a bit better and getting a bit more confidence in that car?
1: Oh, it's it's a huge step uh, really. Like the Haas is the worst car on the grid. Like there's no question of that now. You know they qualified last and second to last in all the Grand Prix, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. So I think to finish ahead of anyone's quite a good achievement. And you've got to put it in context that Schumacher and Mazepin are both rookies as well. So this is all yep. about just getting experience in the car. So yeah, I think finishing ahead of Latifi is a great achievement for
0: for Mick. And Calamo, in the last point on this, do you think that says anything about, about Latifi as a driver or do you think it's just the fact that this Williams just isn't good enough in, in those kind of conditions? I think
2: I think it says more about Mick Schumacher's a good driver and he's, he's getting to grips with his car, which is kind of all that you can ask of him this year in the car that he's in. Yeah, I think the, the move came from a Latifi lockup, So I think obviously that benefited Schumacher. I think it's just the right conditions... For well, the wrong conditions for Williams, so the right conditions for Hass overtaking the Williams, and just Mick Schumacher getting better and better as he goes on.
0: I'll admit, I made a bit of a, uh, a fool of myself with uh, Mick Schumacher's teammate Nikita Mazapin. Um, obviously, we didn't see, I don't think we saw a single spin from him. I think he went to the gravel a few times, but I don't think he sent it round and did a 180 or anything. But, um, we did see him kind of uh, turn in on Perez when uh, Perez was about to lap him and he kind of apologized on the radio and somebody on Twitter or TikTok or something like that has, has um, done a good little team radio kind of uh, message. So it's um, uh, Mazapin kind of apologizing, sorry, I think I kind of blocked Checo there and, and his engineer's like, yeah, fine, get on with it, focus, push, push. Um, and then, Gunther Steiner comes on the radio and he's like, "Enough! This is enough!" And it's we think it's a clip um, from from one of the Drive to Survive episodes. So, so you go and find it on Twitter. That that's a, a funny little clip, and um, I'm sure if that would have happened, uh, Mazepin's would reaction probably wouldn't have been too kind back towards. Um, towards Gunter Steiner and the only thing that I do want to talk about which I should have mentioned beforehand before we started coming on was the only incident that happened in the race which was between the two Alfa Romeos Um, and it was obviously Kimi Räikkönen went into the back of Antonio Giovinazzi and and pretty much lost his front wing Um, do you think maybe Callum M that Kimi would maybe we're starting to see that Kimi might be a little bit rusty or do you think it was just a a rare mistake from an, an experienced driver?
1: I think it's just a rare mistake, to be honest. I mean, he said uh, afterwards that he was looking down his steering wheel, trying to adjust something, uh, and then wasn't expecting mm-hmm. the car to be as quick as it was in the straight, and just ran into the back of Giovinazzi. So just one of those things. We, we've, we've heard it for, before from drivers, you know, trying to adjust something on the steering wheel and not concentrating and losing the back end or whatnot. So just one of those things. Uh, I know there's this agenda that is an old man and he needs to retire, but uh, I think he's still a decent
0: driver at the end of the day. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're right. And I think um, there's a lot said now that Formula One drivers are like driving a computer rather than actually driving a car with all the kind of adjustments and stuff like that, that you've got to make. So, so it's it's definitely maybe a little bit of a talking point. But I think yeah, maybe I suppose if that happens more often, it could we could start to see that maybe he's getting a little bit old and things like that. But you know, it's it's the first time he's made a mistake in in years from from that I can remember. So I think that's that's a fair point you make. Um, the only bit of news to come out of Formula One this week, um, is that Roman Grosjean, and it came out this morning, um, is going to be taking hold of the Mercedes. Um, I think it's last year's Mercedes in the French, um, at the French Grand Prix. It will be like a, a recreation kind of drive around the track. Um, Callum. I think you know a bit more about it than I do, clearly, um Gallimaud, that is. Um just tell us kind of about what, what that's gonna be if if you know any more than I do.
2: Yeah, so it's um the Mercedes W10. So if I'm not mistaken, the 2019 car. And um he's just from what I've read, it's gonna be a demonstration event in front of the fans. Obviously, on Time Grand Prix would be the French Grand Prix. So they'll mm-hmm. do a demonstration over the weekend in front of the fans before a test day on Tuesday just to allow Grosjean that final send-off that he never really got. because you, you never want a driver to end his F1 career on fire. Almost. Well, mm. not almost. On fire. And um, I think when it happened, Toto Wolf said, if Grosjean wasn't offered a test by anyone else, he would allow him to test an old Mercedes just to give him the closure. And I, I think that's what's happening. I think it's a good move from Mercedes. I think it's great from Grosjean. gets to run what was a championship-winning car, a car that would have been lapping him in that mm. 2019 season. So... Oh, it's an excellent move around.
0: And Callum M, I think it just kind of shows that that extra bit of class that Mercedes got about them and, and why they're, they're so successful, doesn't it?
1: Oh, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just a, it's just a lovely thing to see, really. There's not much more to say about it. It's just a, a lovely gesture. And, um, you know, Grosjean's had a, a very, I think, a very underrated F1 career. Uh, had a lot of good... Um,
0: early stuff with Lotus so yeah it'd be great to see him out one, one more time mm. and I just want to touch on that crash just just very very quickly I don't want to make it kind of all about the crash because it, it's, it's going to be great to see him back in it in a Formula One car and I'm sure we'll see videos on YouTube of, it of him going around and, and stuff like that but obviously we only started the podcast at the start of this season um so we haven't ever actually spoken about the crash just first to you Karamo um what did you think when it when it happened? What was going through your mind, and, and how did you kind of where were you, and, and how did you react to it?
2: I mean, it was surreal. I was um, I was watching it from my my room at uni, and you saw that shot on the run up to Tempo at Baray and they have that long shot for the straight, and you saw a car spin off, and you thought, obviously the normal reaction seeing car spin off, you think, oh, and so you see a car gone, and you don't really think an awful lot on it of it, especially when it's towards the back, and then almost out of nowhere, this giant fireball. And I i don't know, I can, I'd probably share the same reaction as most people. I saw that and thought, whoever that is, is, is dead. There's no chance that coming out of that, it was a massive explosion. So it was almost, when we saw that Grosjean was out the herd, Grosjean was out of the car, it was shocking. I had no idea that he'd survived that. I mean, I even had my roommates who don't watch Formula One running in to come because they knew I'd be watching it. Coming and look at it and go, I've seen this on Twitter. And that's just how big it was. Yeah, yeah.
0: And, and Callum M., um, a bit of a different perspective. I'm, I'm assuming you watched the latest season of the Netflix series, Drive to Survive. Um, personally, I, I think they, they covered it, you know, fantastically. You know, some of the different, different camera angles that we saw of it that kind of showed it, gave us a bit more of a clearer picture of how we actually got out of the car. We obviously had the interview with Sky where he described it, but that Netflix... Um, documentary just just captured it perfectly didn't it?
1: Oh absolutely I think one of the the interesting things they did is that the incident itself only lasted what 30 seconds or so from him crashing to getting out the car, 30 seconds a minute but they really um, sort of panned it out so it sort of lasted almost like five minutes or something which is kind of how we all felt it kind of seemed like a moment that lasted forever uh, because we just didn't know if he was okay and what happened and you know, it's so shocking to see a crash like that in modern Formula One. So yeah, I thought mm. they did a perfect job of uh, capturing it.
0: And the only thing I'll add to that is is kind of where I was because Callum mentioned you mentioned you were at uni, I assume Callum, you were either there or, or at home, you know, watching mm. the race live. Um, I was actually uh, where I can't even remember where I was, but wherever I was, where, wherever I was, I was leaving at two o'clock, which was obviously when the race started. Um, and I was coming home and I, w- I would have done the usual, just watch the highlights later on. Um, and I came home and there was just a red flag. And I was like, oh, great. There's a red flag. I'll be able to kind of, you know, see the rest of the race. Um, you know, it was on like lap, it was lap one, wasn't it? That, that it happened. So I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to see the full Grand Prix. And then I obviously went onto Twitter because they weren't showing the replays at the time on, on the TV coverage. I went onto Twitter and saw what happened. I was like, oh, you know, oh my God, sort of thing. You know, the same reaction. Um, as as what kind of you guys had, I probably didn't have that initial shock of thinking, you know, he's dead because kind of by the time I got home, it was, you know, half two, quarter to three, something like that. And it was kind of confirmed that he was okay. And I saw the replay and I was just like, you know, just stunned by, by what could have happened. But I think we'll probably all, all join him and uh, wishing obviously a, a speedy recovery, which, which he's obviously still going to be going on. He's still going to be, you know, regaining that fitness and all that stuff. I think he's driving in, I think it's IndyCar Is he driving yeah, in this yeah. year? Yeah. Um, and obviously he's going to get that chance in the Mercedes, which, like I said, is fantastic from, from Mercedes, fantastic for him. And and I can't wait to kind of see all the coverage that surrounds it and and you know how emotional he's gonna be and, and all that kind of stuff. So so fair play to Mercedes. as much as I don't particularly like either of your drivers, I quite like you as a team. Um so yeah, fair play to them. Um coming up, we have Spain next. We go to Barcelona. Um, I think we were probably all quite relieved um, at the start of the season when it was announced that they wouldn't be testing in Barcelona just because of how rubbish of a track it is. Um, Callum M, what are you expecting from this weekend in terms of uh, the race? Do you think we're just going to get, a, maybe not a repeat of Portugal, um, but something that's not going to be too entertaining on a on a pretty boring track where, thinking about it, there's only really one place to overtake and that's at the bottom of the start-finish straight.
1: Uh, I'm looking forward to my two hour uh, Sunday nap now because there's, it's, it's more, <laughs> going to be more entertaining to have that than watch this Grand Prix. Um, you said that yeah, Spain, the Barcelona circuit, is a perfect testing ground. It's a, it's a good all round track, it's got a mixture of everything. But it, it, that unfortunately means it's a terrible track to go racing on. It's awful. Uh, there hasn't yeah. been a, a good Spanish Grand Prix since, probably since Maldonado won. and That was nearly 10 years ago now. Um, so it's, yeah, I'm really annoyed that they brought it back on the calendar. I don't think anyone likes it now. It's one of the first circuits that if you gave me like free reign over Formula One, I would ditch instantly. Yeah. I know there's a, a lot of good Spanish support through Science and Alonso, but uh, yeah, terrible track
0: and i think that the thing for me is obviously i mentioned before we came on that i watch as much as i can of, of formula 2 and formula 3 and any track that they go to they always seem to to make a decent race out of it because they're young drivers fighting for their careers they're, they're proper you know elbows out but i just remember last year watching the formula 2 race and it was just it, it was a procession and, and you know you never see that in formula 2 or formula 3 so so it's a shame but callum i want to ask you callum o what do you think the tracks like to drive? I assume you played the F1 game. It's obviously got a, me- a mixture of straight, slow, fast, so slow, fast, and, and medium speed corners. Do you think the drivers enjoy going there? I mean, as
2: um, I know, they talk about it as a testing track. But it's quite a demanding track. It's got every sort of corner. I think, as, as in terms of a race track, they sort of had maybe two opportunities to overtake. Obviously, as you mentioned, Dan's turn one and then. Into that hard braking zone at turn 10, but they've cut that now, and it's a swooping corner. It was Lando Norris that came out and said they've got rid of an overtaking opportunity at a track that has none. So, <laughs> I, I don't know what they expect. It's, um, I mean, it's a good enough track, but not for racing. And, um,
0: yeah,
2: I think, I mean, an idea I think they could benefit from it was they tested it, who it used to be, it used to be testing at Jerez. But it was never on the F1 calendar. It wasn't on the F1 calendar at the time of testing. And I'd love to see the same happen with Barcelona. As someone that isn't a fan, as a fan of the circuit, test there, but don't race there. And this little bit of me is optimistic that because they didn't test there this year, they've got less data on it, could lead to a better race. However, I'm not optimistic enough to say it'll be a good race.
0: <laughs> well we'll come into our predictions in just a minute but we've kind of all three of us maybe agreed that we'd quite happily see it removed from the calendar or test there and don't race there um Callum M I'm really going to put you on the spot so I apologize um I'm going to do this to you as well Callum So you've got a bit, a bit of time to think but if we ditch that is is there a track that we don't have on the calendars currently that you would like to see it replaced by I'm going to steal Magello before anybody else gets in there
1: Oh, that is a great question, and one that deserves its <laughs> whole a whole hour. But we don't have that, unfortunately. Um, the obvious answer used to be Turkey, because um, it was such a great track. But obviously now that is back on the calendar because uh, the Canadian Grand Prix dropped out. Uh, I mean, I'm a sucker for Brands Hatch. Uh, it's one of the nearest circuits to mine. <laughs> oh, no, um, it's a great circuit. Probably not. No. For, for, not probably not for Formula One anymore, sadly. No. <laughs> Um, go. It's uh, where, where else could we go? That's currently like available to go to.
0: Um, somewhere in Africa, maybe. I mean, I don't know any African circuits, but <laughs>
1: no. Um, oh, I would love to you know. I, I always like Malaysia. I'd I'd love to go back there. That's yeah, the yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That, that's not that, a bad. That's, venue. that's my um, realistic pick. Yeah. And uh Calamo, what about you? If there's, if there's a track that you'd like to see Spain replaced with, it, have you got any ideas in mind?
2: Well, I was between two. picking Malaysia sort of rules it out for me. Um, go Hockenheim in Germany, I always liked. I always mm-hmm. got the German German Grand Prix. It was always a solid race. If you're looking, you mentioned an African race, which is a brilliant idea. Kailami, South Africa. I yeah. haven't got the big, biggest knowledge of it, but I used to race there, and there's a lot of calls to go back there. So I think it would be a natural... Sort of fit to just replace it, but um, yeah, if I've got to go with a track I've got knowledge of, it, it has to be um, Hockenheimring in Germany. Mm.
0: I've just gone to Wikipedia, a list of Formula One circuits, and it's got places like uh, Aintree, Portimaus which we obviously go to. and um, there's a couple in Portugal, Mexico, we go to, so but there's there's kind of plenty of options. Argentina is one that we haven't been to in in quite a long time. Uh, since um, 1988 in 1998 is the last time they went there i mean i've no idea what the track's like i'm just saying that because it's on wikipedia um but yeah brands hatch has come up on there we've not been there since 1986 Calumem, which probably oh. says everything you need to know about Brands Hatch.
1: <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> <A> great <laughs> um, a great place to watch uh, racing
0: i i'll vouch for it how 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 often have you been to brands hatch and, and kind of watched a race there this is completely off topic but uh i want to say i've been there
1: three or four times to watch fins um when they're when they're two years to watch the the dtm which is the the big german touring cars they were very good around there but uh yeah it's probably facility wise it probably can't cope with formula one at the moment so
0: fair enough i'm I'm probably the luckiest in the fact that i live in northamptonshire um so silverstone is just 20 minutes down the road um (laughs) so you know i usually go to obviously the formula one wec i'll sometimes go to and that's pretty much it, actually. So I don't really go to to, to kind of varying things at Silverstone, um, despite it being on my doorstep. Zolder is another one that's just come up in Belgium, which is a track that I don't particularly mind, to be fair. But 1984 was the last time I went there. Anyway, let's get back on topic, um, back to uh, 2021 Formula One. Um, we're going to make our predictions for this weekend that we can talk about next week or the week after, whenever we're going to be back. Um, for Barcelona, obviously we've all said we think we're going to get a pretty rubbish race. Callum Owen, um, let's start with your podium uh, finishes please. Um, well, it's, it's
2: tough. It, it wouldn't be a Red Bull or a Mercedes weekend. With mm. the similarities it has to Portimao and historically the fact Mercedes tend to win there, I'll go with Lewis Hamilton to win. And I'll go with Valtteri Bottas in second. I'm just I know it's a very it's just a track that Mercedes have loved previous years and they ran away with it last year Mm -hmm. so I'll go over Mercedes 1-2 Hamilton leading with Max Verstappen in third
0: Cool and uh, Callum M your predictions uh, your podium for this weekend as well please
1: uh, second time's the charm. Sergio Perez is going to win this weekend. Uh, I can feel it now. <laughs> um, the re- I think the, the warmer conditions don't tend to suit Mercedes. So I think Red Bull are kind of on level terms now. I think they'll just have the edge this weekend. And yeah, I fancy Sergio to do it. Why not? You know, He's improving every week, as we said. So yeah, I think I think he'll win uh, Verstappen second and Lewis Hamilton third.
0: I, uh, I've i gone with a, a Red Bull dominant weekend as well I've, I've kind of agreed with you I've gone with Verstappen and Perez to make the top two and then Hamilton third um, Joshua said last week he's not convinced by Valtteri Bottas this season I think I probably have to agree with him he does, something's, although he got pole at the weekend something is just not quite right I don't think but he, like I said with two races in um, we're, we're going to see a lot more of him and, and hopefully he'll get up to speed um, let's start with our wild predictions or kind of differential predictions. Um, mine isn't ridiculous. It's not Antonio Giovinazzi. It's not Sebastian Vettel. It's, I think, Alpha AlphaTauri have disappointed a little bit this season. and have kind of not lived up to expectations. So I think they're going to have a fairly, a fairly strong weekend and maybe get both cars in, into the top 10 come uh, four o'clock on Sunday afternoon. Calamo, what do you think is going to be? What's your outside prediction? Um, it's, a, it's
2: a proper stab, stab in the dark. Um, a collision between two of the top three not not one that's going to end the race just a bit of banging wheels maybe into turn one i mean we saw the mercedes of the rosberg and Lewis Hamilton collide spain yeah sort of five years ago now on the way to Max sap and win the race and i'd have no problem if it happened again this weekend but i feel like it'll be maybe just a little bit of a collision and um there's nothing too extreme but it's spain i don't mean
1: you can predict anything too extreme
0: <laughs> i think you're absolutely right and then callum M., uh what's your wild card for the weekend
1: i mean talking of uh not extreme pins happening my wild card is that there'll be no safety car for the first time this season <laughs> uh, i'm not saying that every car's going to finish that might be a bit optimistic but i'm going to say there'll be no major incidents no safety car no virtual safety
0: car just a boring old race yep so we're pretty much all saying that we're going to be sat here in I think two weeks' time with nothing to talk about, and we'll just be talking about how fantastic a circuit Monaco is. Which is uh, when we're going to be next time, when are we going to be here next time on the pod? Um, Joshua, I probably should have got his predictions, I could probably just make some up for him and just say that he thinks Nikita Mazapin's going to win the race or something, um, <laughs> just to just to annoy him. Um, so yeah. We won't do that because I don't want to annoy him. Um, so yeah, thank you very much to uh, the two Callums for for joining me. Um, hopefully we, please, let's get a decent race in Spain. We're not going to, but you know, just let's have something happen. We need something to talk about. That, that's why we're here. We need something to write about on the website as well. Um, so yeah, a reminder that we're all writers for Vable um, Formula One, com forward slash motorsports. We're on Twitter as well, at F1 Vable. Thank you to everybody who listens. That, that's, I think, where most of our our kind of um audience come from, so thank you to, to everyone who listens on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those good stuff. Um, if you could follow, subscribe to us on YouTube and and on those podcast platforms, and never miss an episode, that would be awesome. And, and leave your your likes, your five star reviews, all that good stuff. Um, thank you again for two columns for joining me. Uh, next up, well, we've got a street circuit double header. Uh, we go to Monaco on the twentieth of May, so we'll be back. Um, on the Friday before that Uh, and then we go to Baku yay after that uh, before going to Turkey and then into kind of the summer rounds of France, Austria, Britain we don't need to know about that yet but yeah we'll be back ahead of Monaco and we'll probably just be talking about a rubbish Spanish Grand Prix and and how good a circuit Monaco is Um, and it's going to be great to be back there isn't it but we'll get into that next week hopefully Joshua will be back with us as well Um, I'm going to stop waffling on now thank you very much to everybody for listening and we'll see you all next time bye bye